Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is a director, writer, and occasional actor, and his name is AJ Constantino. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you? No, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to be doing a new episode. Um, yeah, I don't know. I prefer doing these podcasts during the middle of the day because one thing that's kind of happened throughout the course of this podcast is that my guests are from all around the world and obviously that's different time zones and that yeah. to me is fine but I always obviously prefer doing these much earlier in the day as opposed to later <laughs> so yeah very yeah good. I mean it's 10 a.m where I'm at so it's early in the day <laughs> yeah thank you for this by the way <laughs> no problem no problem oh let's let's jump straight into filmmaking how did you get into filmmaking uh yeah basically I always like tell this story that there's three things I wanted to do throughout my entire life. You know, I remember in elementary school, they would ask us every year, what do you want to do? And it was a zoologist, he's involved animals. Then the next year, it was a paranormal investigator. I don't know where that came from because I was scared of everything as a child. And then third, it was making movies. And that, from that moment on, it stuck and that's what I wanted to do, even though I really didn't know what that meant. And throughout the years, you know, there was times where maybe that idea took the back burner. There was times where I'm focusing on it 100%, but every year, that's what I wanted to do. And that's kind of every direction I took kind of was le- trying to lead me down that path. It's pretty cool that you had like at least some idea of which direction you wanted to kind of head as far as your career because I must say for many years I had no idea and even to this day I'm still kind of figuring it out but if I compare where I'm at with my life right now versus where I was in school and and towards university age you know it's like it it can feel quite daunting especially when everyone else around you is like I'm gonna be a a ballet dancer I'm gonna be a a singer I'm gonna be a politician or or a businessman or whatever and you're like I just don't know <laughs> yeah, and I mean I know a lot of people that are like that and they're like or they switch the people that are indecisive I want to do this <laughs> this month and then now I want to be a firefighter but now I'm going to go be a doctor and yeah I mean everyone else has their own kind of path but I was locked in and like I said there were periods where like maybe I didn't focus on it it was just like I told people that's what I want to do and I just never did anything towards it But yeah, I mean, it helped that I really had like support, you know, family Mm. was always motivating. They weren't the types to say, oh no, that's a pipe dream. Don't follow it. You know, it's so hard to get in. So I think that definitely helped keeping me on that path. You know, if I kept on getting people trying to talk me out of it, I don't think I would have maybe stuck with it as long. Was there a particular moment or thing you know, maybe uh, you hear a lot of the time when people are talking about like, oh, there was this one moment where I just saw this particular movie or saw this particular scene. And in that moment, I knew that I was going to be a director. Like, was there a moment like that? I mean, it's hard to remember. Like, I can't think of a specific movie, but I remember being, you know, elementary school age, kind of right around when I made that, like, had that idea, that's what I want to do. I think we just got out of seeing a movie or go we were going to the movies I don't remember what the movie was I remember my mom explaining something like you know movies are fake 
like these aren't real things, you know, I'm like right. in third grade or something, you know, and she's like, these, these aren't real. There's actors, people make them. And once I realized, huh, you know, people can just make movies because that's all I did as a kid was just watching movies and TV. And I was like, you could do that. Oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. And that was it. Like, so it wasn't a specific movie, but it was that moment where it really got explained to me that, there, yeah, you could do this as a job. Were there any particular movies that kind of like stood out to you as far as like, okay, this is, you know, how movies should be made, or this is the style that I want to make my movies in, or, or was there anything in particular that stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, over the years, and I would say more recently, I'm kind of diving into a lot of these older films, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, you, you hear stories of other people who from the age of 12, they're watching like movies from the 30s and 40s. Right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that wasn't me. I, I'll, I'll admit it. I have a lot of blind spots. But over the last few years where I'm diving into this, like these older films or foreign films, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to pick and choose things that I'm like, that's really cool. I've never seen that. Or I've seen that in recent movies and that's where they got it from. So yeah, I, I don't like to exactly copy a style or like mm. attribute it to one thing, but I would say it's just a bunch. I, I love watching movies and I like treat it as the more movies you watch, the more things are kind of just gonna rub off on you like subconsciously. So I like to just bring as much information in and so what, see what sticks. What do you make of, you know, major film directors such as, you know, Martin Scorsese or, uh, Francis Cor Coppola or you know people like that like do you because obviously there's a lot of hype surrounding them and from a mainstream perspective like I'll say now I know nothing about film directing obviously you know yeah. I, I know some stuff about acting and, and whatnot but nothing about that so from a, a kind of I suppose uh, an industry perspective I do I am a bit curious as to like you know your thoughts on, on on people like that like are they as good as people make out or or is it kind of just they're just very well known and successful therefore they get referred to as such. I, I think it's a little bit of both, you know? I think all those big names, they're big names for a reason, right? They didn't get there just by mistake. However... What are you implying? <laughs> how, like, I, I wanna say like, I wanna say sometimes when you give someone, like they call it a blank check. Hey, Martin Scorsese walks in, Steven Spielberg, a studio is going to give them millions of dollars and that's it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they're not going to critique what they're trying to do. I think sometimes when a big director does get that, they kind of, they don't always hit it out of the park. It, it's hit or miss, you know, because sometimes people telling you, Hey, I don't think this is the right direction. Sometimes is a valid criticism. You know, you get a lot of people on the internet saying, Oh, the studio interfered, the studio interfered. And yeah, the studio can interfere and not understand the movie and make it worse. But sometimes they know what they're talking about. And you get these, I don't, I don't even have an example off the top of my head, but a big name director and you're like, how did they make this? You know, it, it just isn't working. But a lot of those top name directors that you're saying, they're top name because even when they have full creative control, they're knocking it out of the park. Mm. their hits their batting average is really good okay. you know right, yeah. not everyone has a perfect batting average but 
they're pretty good. So the hype, the hype is real then? It's not just, you know... Yeah, I would say so. And I think <laughs> sometimes their movies might only speak to kind of those big film fans, you know, who are like the, the movie reviewers. I went to school to study film criticism because I've seen, you know, I, I always call them like kind of the average movie viewer. It's 90% of people are the average movie viewer. I'll go to a movie, maybe movie theater, maybe once or twice a year. You know, I'll watch something on Netflix. Uh, I can watch a movie on like TV, watch it halfway through. I've never seen it before. I don't need to watch it from the beginning. I, I'd say that's 90%. I kind of, I always kind of say like what my dad does. <laughs> that's how I base <laughs> it. And I've seen those people watch a Martin Scorsese movie or something like considered a masterpiece. And they're like, this is boring. What happened? While well, I'm like in it, like... And excited so <laughs> oh, they, sometimes they do make movies that don't speak to everyone so you, in a sense you're kind of saying that, that there's these movies that are released that are more for insiders as opposed to like the general public yeah and i, and I don't think that was the intention like i'm going to make a movie for insiders but i think those people know how to appreciate what the director's doing mm. because they kind of know the the art and the metaphors and all that. And they're not just like, let me put this on in the background while I do dishes and I missed 45 minutes, huh? What's going on? And, you know, they, they kind of wanted to make the movie they wanted to make and they didn't care if everyone got it or not, you know? Since you're in the industry, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Oscars because whenever I see the Oscars appear, you know, and this is just my opinion, you know, um, but I look at all of the entries that get put in and I'd yeah. say like probably like 20 or 30% actually deserve to be there. And I've got some reasoning for why. Okay. okay. We all know that there's BS and there's favoritism and all of that stuff. Right. But here's something as well that people don't often talk about. Have you ever noticed how sometimes a movie will get nominated for an Oscar and it's not even released yet? Or if it has been, it's only been, you know, for like a month, yeah. Like this happened about 10 years ago or so, I remember there was like a George Clooney movie where he was like a father or something like that. It was a very non-film, right? Yeah, yeah. But I remember they, they were going on and on about it. And I was like, hang about, I swear this isn't even in the, in the, in the theatres or it's literally just come out or something. And they're nominating on it and saying, oh, this is a movie of the year contender and all that. And I don't know, as a, a general viewer, like I understand that like they won't include things like comedy films, horror films, but I do wonder like, why shouldn't they you know and like sometimes they'll make an exception you know with something like uh batman when heath ledger got a nomination which yeah. i don't i don't understand how you could not give that but there are so many movies that get released every year that are excellent and critically acclaimed and uh, but they get nothing and yeah. there seems to be all of these rules in place and, and whatnot so anyway like what are your thoughts on the oscars okay that, that's a really good question. And I feel like my thoughts are really complex on this, right? Go for it, please. I'm agreeing with you where you have this movie that's not even out yet because there's so many loopholes. Like, yeah. they, if they can just show it in like five theaters around like the US, I think it would probably be, right before the end of the year, it like qualifies. So a lot of the times a <laughs> studio will like drop it, even though it's gonna come out in February just to do it. Um, I would say the hype though, 
uh, depending on the movie, of course, but the hype usually gets built in film festivals. Mm. So you have film festivals throughout the years, and a lot of those films are in festivals. So a lot of people that vote on the Oscars or reviewers and stuff probably saw them, like if they went to Sundance or the big ones. So they might have seen it back in March or February or January the year prior. Um, however, with picking the movies, I agree 100%. I think more comedy should be nominated, more horror movies. And really, the thing about the Oscars is every, no one's happy. <laughs> like, you have the, like, the general film fans. They're like, I haven't seen any of these movies. Right. You have like, the, the big film fans who are like, well, this obscure movie didn't get nominated. Like, I, I feel like when they come out with the nominees, very rarely do you, a bunch of people go, yeah, they got it. You know? And if you look at Oscar winners for best picture, like throughout the years, you're like, what is that movie? Like a, a movie like 20 years ago, two, like early 2000s, late 90s, you're like, huh? And then you look at other movies that came out that year and you're like, we still talk about this, you know? And I think it's, a, it's definitely political how they- Oh, 100%. Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I, I like the Oscars. I get wrapped up into it. It doesn't, <laughs> I have all these critiques of why it sucks. However, I'm like, <laughs> when they come out with the nominees, I'm there. I remember there was one year I threw, it was like only four of us that showed up. An I Oscars an party. party. I wanted people to dress up. <laughs> Why not? Why not? It just never happened. But yeah, I was like, I get wrapped up. Even though I can go on for hours about why it's a flawed system, why mm -hmm. movies that really don't stand the test of time win. However, the moment those nominees go out, all my criticisms are just out the window. I'm like, I'm invested. I've always, and here's the thing, I've always been confused as to why some sort of a public vote is not, you know, introduced. Like, I know, obviously, that's not just an easy thing to do. Like, oh, we'll just yeah. do this and then no problem. But like, the fact that, you know, the nominations come from, uh, you know, I think it's like SAG, Scream Actors Guild, and then like other associations yeah. involved in the industry. So it's basically industry people deciding on industry people, which I understand exactly. to an extent, like obviously the, the Oscars has a very long history, just like all the others, you know, BAFTAs, whatever, right? But at the same time, I do feel like, you know, it would be much more representative and I think a lot better if like the general public had a say. It doesn't even necessarily have to be like the final factor, but you could do it like where, you know, it's counted towards the votes or something. And um, yeah. you could do it throughout the course of, of, a you know, however long up until the next one. Like, what do you think on that? Like, would that be a good idea? Yeah, I think they need to do something, right? Because every year you see articles come out like the Oscar ratings are low, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to do something to uh, get younger people invested in the Oscars, which I don't know why we care about the ratings of an awards. Like, what, like yeah, the awards matter, but it does, it's not the Super Bowl. Like people, besides me, aren't going like, I gotta watch the Oscars. To be fair though, like the Oscars, I feel like the whole show as, as a whole, is yeah. not like really engaged. Like it has moment. Like if you would release like a, a, a highlights clip, that's enough. 
that yeah, people, I, you know, I agree. I and agree. people could watch that and go, oh, that's great. But I reckon, like, if you watch however long it is, what, three, four hours long? Something like that. Right. And you, sometimes you look in the audience, you see the, the people there, they look bored shitless because it is kind of a boring thing. Like, you basically just have someone go up, they announce all the nominations, uh, people talk for ages, and then eventually you get to, like, the winner and, and, and whatnot. But, like, there's a lot of, like, uh, fin flam, like, you know, window dressing, trying to, like, fill yeah. time. Basically. And like I said, I, I love it. I like, I love the, the awards, <laughs> speculating, predicting. However, I agree. The show is boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and you, like you said, you see the audience and you're like, even they're bored. Like, who is this for? Who are we doing this for? And every year they say the ratings are going down. It's like, well, who, no one is really into this. Um, and I agree. Like, maybe if they had a private ceremony and you just release a... 30 minute highlight reel on TV, mm. something like that, or even an hour. And it's just like, here it is. Um, I think people would like that more, but kind of going back to what you said, like having a people's vote, I think it's really the uh, exclusion. Like, like you said, it's industry insiders. And I think they kind of treat it like, well, we're kind of better than just the, the commoners out there. We don't want their say. They don't know. They don't appreciate it. And I don't agree with that. I, I just think that's the, yeah. Like, I know they're not coming out and saying that, but you're right. That's 100% their, like, uh, you know, th mindset. And the thing is, like, everyone goes out and buys buys the movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. if, if the movie is bad, people will pan it and then it will just fade into obscurity. It's happened to so many major movies that have had big budgets, regardless of actors, uh, you know, directors, whatever. Like a good movie is a good movie. So I think like your public, your public opinion is, is essential in a movie well, doing actually, well. I just thought of something to even like really solidify that idea of like we're kind of better is I think it was last year or 2019 something the the people that run the Oscars, the Academy came out and said, we're going to make a category called the popular movie of the year. Interesting. And that was their like way to get these other movies in like uh, Marvel movies or Star Wars. Right, or stuff like right. that. And there was such a backlash that they, it only lasted a couple of weeks and they're like, yeah, we're not going to do it. And so. Well, I backlash from the insiders. Yeah. I, I don't know where the backlash came from. I think it was just a lot of confusion of what is popular. Like, <laughs> popular mean good? Are you saying this movie deserves to be here just because people like it? Like, it was just the way they try to introduce it didn't work. But I mean, it shows that there are people that think, hey, maybe we need these other movies. Like, when Which you have when you think about it though, like a lot of these movies that do well aren't just good movies in their own right but they're like generation defining like if you look at uh fight club that's yeah. very much a comment on i think it was the 90s wasn't it yeah like it's a 90s yeah. movie um so it's got everything it's got some of the best actors from the 90s in it it's it's got a very kind of gritty story and, and the way it's shot is very reminiscent of many 90s movies and music and like Basically, my point being that it's almost like a comment on popular culture of that exactly. time. So, like right now, we could arguably say like these Marvel movies that are coming out is 
right now it's a big part of of you know yeah. culture because suddenly everyone likes it and it used to be like, like nerdy movies were just for nerds you know which was good times so you know but, yeah uh, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm all for it you know if, if nerd if nerdiness is the new cool great you know it means i can enjoy more <laughs> i know I, i'm but finally yeah. included um <laughs> i'm gonna look something up but going back to what i was saying like how you brought up fight club it's a movie we still talk about right I don't know if it was even nominated for an Oscar. No. Well, this yeah. is what I mean about inclusion of, of certain movies. Like a movie like that, I would wager wouldn't be included on the basis that, because they seem to have this like unofficial rules, which I understand. It's, it's like, it has to be a certain type of movie. So like comedies, horror, like no chance. Sci-fi, yeah just i doubt it would ever happen i mean i'm sure there's a few exceptions maybe like uh you know when when steven spielberg did like uh what was that movie um ai or whatever it is mm -hmm. something where there's like a crossover but ultimately yeah. i think it's certain directors a certain style and then uh maybe also actually if it becomes a, a box office hit like to a certain extent maybe that has a factor yeah, it, I mean, they call it Oscar bait. Like, they sometimes will make a movie knowing this will win awards, you 100%. know? They don't, it's not a movie that's good and wins awards. It's made from the beginning. I just looked it up. The year Fight Club came out, the best picture was Shakespeare in Love. Never what? really seen that movie. And that's my point. You look at the best pictures every year, and you're kind of like, there's a lot of movies. Oh, Shakespeare in Love. Yes. Okay, that actually is a good movie. Okay, I'll, I'll, I haven't I'll, seen it, but I'm like, it's, 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 it's literally what, how it sounds. It's, it's, I, I do remember the movie though, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like huge, a yeah. huge deal. It was a good movie, but it wasn't like a Is it a big movie deal. that we're still talking about in 2021? Right, right? yeah, 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 yeah. But Fight Club, on example, that's a big movie. People talk about it. It's important. The things they talked about in that movie back then are important now. And you, you see examples of that for ever, you know, and it's just tough, you know, and it's hard to find, have an award show that's going to get everyone happy because everyone oh, likes sure. something. So it's, yeah. It's but the, thing, the thing is, you, I feel like they're not trying, you know, it's like, it really does feel like a little club. It's like, oh, we have our little award show. It's a club. We make the viewing open to the public, but then they almost like, they always like attack the public in a way for, for having the opinions that, that we have. And it's like, well, it wouldn't be like that if, if the view, the, the, you know, okay. For example, you know, if they would nominate um, movies that actually were popular in that year and were successful and were like, cause sometimes a movie will do so well. Like here's an example. And this is really old, but it's a good example. Um, Star Wars revenge of the Sith was out in the cinemas, at least in the UK, for like five months, something crazy like that, right? It did so unbelievably well, but there's no chance in hell that you would see that on the Oscars because yeah. of their own kind of backward mentality. Like I get that like it started in what, like the 30, 1930s or something. So it's like this institution, yeah. but like things change over time. And, you know, they don't seem to react to these things. You know, it's only a few years ago that, um, they were getting sort of slammed for a lack of representation of, of like black people. Mm. And from what I recall, um, they haven't really done anything. Uh, we've had some, I think there's one person that won an Oscar yeah. possibly. 
and, and they've person. done a few things kind of behind the scenes with like how including more people of color to vote and stuff like that. Oh, but so they weren't even allowed to vote before? Wow. Oh, no, they were, but it was like... Oh, okay. The breakdown. Yeah, I don't want to say that. But it was like, if you looked at the breakdown, it was like 90% of the people that vote for the Oscars are white. And I think 90% of them were also men, and they were also like above 50. So it was Yeah, like, that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. It's all just industry people voting it's it's literally just other people patting their like fucking colleagues on the back like yeah well done here's an award and that's why it is political because sometimes you'll have someone like an older actor nominated for best actor right he might have done a really good job it's not his best movie but he'll still win because they kind of go he hasn't won before it's his time the younger guy who did better this year we'll get him later he's got more chances to win so it's not even like who's best this year. They kind of treat it as, is it your turn to get it? I remember yeah. thinking that when, when Leonardo DiCaprio won his Oscar, because like, obviously, like if they didn't give it for that movie, then th- they should just g- give up. Like, do you know what I mean? Because how can you not? But, and yeah. don't get me wrong, it was a good movie. He did very well. But I think like there are many other movies where he, he did much better. And like, I remember there was one particular, yeah, I can't remember which movie it was, but there was one particular one where it was a, almost a surefire bet that he would win. And then some other random person won. And it was yeah. like, really? That's what you're going for? Yeah. And I mean, sometimes they do get it. Like there are a few years where the nominees come out and I'm like, that's solid. You know, all sure. good movies. I have no really major complaints. And then other years you're like, huh? Yeah, like, I should I should add that actually. I know we've been very critical. They do yeah. sometimes get it right where you're like, you can't argue with that. <laughs> and I, I also wanted to say, I started this conversation going, I could talk about being critical, but the moment those nominees come out, I'm like, okay, I'm in it. I'm on board. I'm the number one fan. Like I'm here speculating who's going to win. Yeah. So yeah. But the thing is, I sometimes think you are critical about things you do enjoy or like to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I think you just I have to be fair more about criticism. movies I like than movies I hated because I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to focus on the brain power towards it. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's a very solid point. I mean, you, you don't you you criticize things because you want it to be better. Yeah. You want it to be better in the future. It's like Star Wars. Everyone gets critical, but it's because everyone loves Star Wars. Exactly. You know, you want it to be better. You don't want it to get worse. You want it to be much better. If I hated Star Wars, I just would not talk about it and I wouldn't think about it and it wouldn't be, I wouldn't care. But the fact that I do care when something bad comes out, that's when I'm the most vocal. Like, you know, hey, this could have been better. This could have like, because I do want it to be better because I have a, like a place in my heart for it. You know, I remember Game of Thrones, the last season, I was very critical, but it's like, I really love Game of Thrones. So I gotta say, like that's I've spoken about it on the podcast before. So sorry for for everyone listening who's heard me rant before. But since you brought it up, I I, I take every opportunity I can to just bury it because I'm just so disappointed. I feel like they did such a good job for like five or six seasons, and then they just. Do you know what I I think? I think that they got creatively lazy. Is the way. I, I and that's what it was. Yeah, and that that's the biggest heartbreak. It's not even because like the directors would be like, oh well, you know, um, you know, if you don't like it, it, it's subjective, blah blah blah. And it's like, no, no, no. There's a difference between putting forward a, like a controversial ed- ending and then getting lazy. Like a controversial yeah. ending would be like, 
the How I Met Your Mother TV series ending. Some people got it, some people were against it. I'm kind of mixed feelings about it, but it, at least it's not like lazy. At least it made sense. It was, yeah. you know, they, they, it had. They made a choice, you know, they exactly. took a big gamble, and you could say if that gamble paid off. Yeah, Game of Thrones, those last two or probably two, three seasons, you could feel like they didn't want to do it. And you hear interviews with them and you're like, they don't want to do it. And they got announced to do a big Star Wars movie and they were announcing other shows they wanted to do. And you could tell like, I, they're in this job for five, six years. They're burnt out. They want to do other things. And they should have just passed it off to someone else. They could have still been involved, but they're not hands-on every day, you know? And someone else would have done it, but... See, the thing is, though, like, they've forever tarnished their legacy, you know, because exactly. as, I, as I recall, I think they lost the Star Wars deal, didn't they? They did, right after right. the finale. Yeah, and I, I'm not, I don't blame them for, for taking that away from them, because why would you trust them with a new Star Wars trilogy when they got lazy with the Game of Thrones? And, like, all they had to do... There's a couple of things. All right, you, they could have even probably still ended it in the way that they did, as long as they made some like logical story decisions. Exactly. Like Bran becoming king. Nowhere in the story, at any point, is it implied. There's no kind of suggestion, infer, or anything. Like we know he's going to be a big deal, but we have no idea he's going to become king. You know? Yeah. So I, I read the books as well. Like that's right. how much I loved Game of Thrones. And you could tell right when they got caught up to the books and they had a kind of, they didn't have a blueprint to follow, that's when they kind of really lost their way. And I've talked about it countless times. I think, because they were still following like a rough outline of the books, I think everyone ends up in the place they were supposed to end up in in the books. Like I think in the books, you'll probably have Bran as king. However, I think they went, we need five more seasons to do this. We're going to do it in two. And I think in the books, it's going to be a lot more slower. Because I've also heard speculation that Bran might be king, but it also could be him possessing someone else. And it's See, not that's, Yeah, exactly. Like, the, I'm not saying that it's impossible for, for that narrative to exist, but you have to create a logical narrative where it leads to that. You get hints for, like, for instance, I would argue that, Jon Snow becoming king was hinted out through the entirety of the, uh, you know, this whole the whole uh, saga. I don't know, trilogy, like, yeah. season, all, all of all of Game of Thrones. It was hinted at points, and so for it not to happen, and then for him to just essentially go back to the wilderness, I just thought it was such a stupid narrative. Like it just, I, yeah, I think in the book you're gonna get a reason why he doesn't become king and you're going to be like, oh, he was so close and something like there's mm. going to be more explanations. I've also heard the story that maybe John is possessed by Bran and technically they didn't, couldn't do that in the show because they made choices that wouldn't work. And like, that's why Bran becomes king just because, but it could be, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of like, theories I've kind of read but the books aren't out and now I'm upset because I'm like I don't even know if the last two books will ever come out yeah I, I don't understand what that guy's deal is like why why doesn't he want to finish it or why hasn't he finished I it? it I mean I don't know for Confused. sure but I think partially he might be a little burnt out 
because he's also same thing with the directors he wants to do other things he keeps on saying i want to write the, a book about sci-fi i want to do all this stuff but he's stuck i also think I, i'm not sure if you read the books but they're dense there's a lot more happening mm. in the books like i said each show, each storyline in the books could have been its own show and i kind I of would have preferred something like marvel where you follow each character and they kind of cross over and stuff like that. But, I, and I think he might've wrote himself into a corner and he doesn't know how to like, he knows I need to get from A to Z, but I wrote like out, like I don't know how to get there, you know? And I, in the last book, I put my characters here, but I don't know how they're gonna get to Z now. And I'm stuck, like, and I think that's it because the last book came out, I think, in like 2011. It was before the show started. So the show started, went eight seasons, took a year off, finished, and then a couple extra years, and the next book's not out. Has and he not, Has he released any books during that time, anything else? He releases a few like short stories here or there, but nothing really. I know he was working on the show a little bit, and then once they were catching up to where the next book needed to be. He said he was going to focus on the book to get it out. And then uh, they released like a, uh, a book about like the world. I, I haven't read it, but he didn't write it by himself. He kind of helped someone else write it and gave him a lot of like characters. It was kind of like an encyclopedia of the world. So he, uh, didn't, okay. he didn't write every word, but he was there like approving everything. So that was about it, you know? I mean, unless he's done something I don't know about, but I know he does interviews and people always try to reach out to him and he, he, he's famous now and I feel like he wants to kind of enjoy it and every time he goes somewhere, they go, when's the next book? And Oh, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. I'd rather just get it done, get it out of the way. People like it, people hate it, whatever. But at least I don't have to hear that bloody but, And I also think it's, the it's probably the pressure too because... yeah. I only read the books after I watched the first season of the show. And I think a lot of people are like that. Like the books started in the nineties. Mm. They were probably popular, but they weren't like the biggest, they weren't like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. And now they are. And I think now the pressure is like, oh, I can't mess this up. And now you see the last two seasons, people hated it. And now he's like, oh no, I can't like you. You start to feel that pressure, I guess. Like, yeah, but he could. He could salvage it by doing, writing something different. Yeah, <laughs> Why does he? I doesn't think, have to do what they did in the in the TV show. <laughs> I also think maybe it's just in his head. Like I already set things in motion to end that way, and I can't change it. Uh, but I, I think the if you look at each individual ending, John goes to the wall. Bran becomes king. Like all that it could work if it's done right. Like if you, like I said, if they did three more seasons, I think they could have done it right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, but and it's the, the weird thing as well. HBO said they would give them the money. So it's not even a case of like, oh, we didn't have that, the budget. And that's why I think they just didn't want to do it. And yeah. they didn't want, I think they were too proud to stand down and like have someone else do it. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, I think... I think they could have done it right if they just had took the time. And also the show is so different than the books that like, I know for a fact, you're not going to have all the characters in one place, like the last season and all the, like the meeting old, I think they just did that for the show to make it mm. easier. 
I don't think the characters, you might have some people cross paths, but it's not going to be, okay, all these characters are in Winterfell having a good time from all these different stories and backgrounds. No, it's going to be spread out. Things are going to happen slower, you know. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited still. I'm excited for the book if I ever get to read it. What do you <laughs> make of this, uh, this prequel uh, TV show coming up? I like it. I'll watch it. I'm not super excited. And I don't know why. Mm. You know? Probably because of how the fucking TV show ended. Exactly. <laughs> it's like... Uh... I think it's just like... Maybe once I see a trailer, maybe once I know more of like right. what it's going to be about, I'll get more excited. But right now I'm like, okay, they're, I hope they're just not milking it. I hope they had an idea and it's going to be good. But... Yeah, I mean, if, if they're sensible, they'll they'll treat it like what Marvel's doing and, and create something where they can extend off of it and, and do other things. And, and maybe, I mean, for example, I think a lot of people were quite intrigued by um, Aya Stark's uh, potential storyline. And I think that would be pretty sick, actually, is to see yeah. some sort of show after Game of Thrones. I think there'd be a lot of uh, intrigue in, in that story. Yeah, I... I would like them to extend the world out more. You know, I think that would be really awesome. Uh, it just really depends on, like you said, what they're doing. If they do Arya Stark and it's this really cool story, yeah, I'm in. But if you uh, just kind of milk it in or you didn't have a good idea, I said from the beginning, I'd love a, a Robert's Rebellion. The prequel, you see Ned, you see all these oh, different things, all characters you know. Even if it was just a mini series, I think you could do it. And I've been saying that like from season one is, I don't know why, because you hear all these stories of this war and it's the thing that led everything to happen in the show. I'm like, I'm surprised they didn't do it or have flashbacks because even in the, the books, you don't see it, but you get a lot of stories where you can piece the events together and you're like, it was really important. Like all these characters ended up in the places they're at at the beginning of Game of Thrones because of this war. It like really was like World War II. It changed everything. And I'd love to see that. If they announce that prequel, I'm in. Like, it doesn't matter. Who are your main sources of inspiration in filmmaking? Uh, that is a good one. I mean, I would say the people I kind of always gravitate towards, and we're going back to like going like with the big names. Um, yeah, have Scorsese, he's one of my favorites. Um, Tarantino, that's kind of like everyone's top choice. David Fincher, and, and those are all more recent directors. Like I said, as I start going back to the classics, Kurosawa, who is this big Japanese director, samurai films, he's amazing. Everything I've seen from him in the last like five years I've loved and I guess Spielberg too like Spielberg is probably like the most well known and I feel like a lot of his movies nowadays kind of are hit or miss but if you go back to his early stuff Jurassic Park, Jaws, E.T. those they're all classics like he knocked it out of the park every single time. I know I asked you a sort of similar question at the beginning of this but are there particular things you look out for in movies when, when you're watching them now that kind of make you decide like, this is a good movie or this is a poor movie or, you know, what are the things that you look out for? Cause obviously me being a fan, I, I look, I look, well, because I'm an aspiring actor, I look at the acting that's for me is, 
you know, the believability of the characters and to some extent the way it's shot, if there's anything interesting in, in that. But what do you look for? I mean, ultimately, I feel like I'm very optimistic when I see movies. I, I like tend to like more movies than I hate. You know, even if it's a movie people don't like, I, I feel okay about it. I, I don't really have too many movies I hate. So the thing's kind of like when a movie's on that edge of just being okay, like if, if the story's really good, it'll keep me in. If it's just kind of boring, I think if it's really good acting, kind of like you said, that might save it for me. But really, I kind of just go in open-minded. And if just if I'm into it, I'm into it. And I, I there's a couple different aspects that might save it for me. And I might still give it like a, a good review if it was a little like not great. If Like I said, the acting's good, the cinematography, and it just looks really nice. That could save it for me. And like I said, most of the times, a movie hits one of those check marks where I end up liking it. Like, I, I think most movies I like. Talking about that, um, what do you make of film critics? Uh, it's tough because, I, so I made a movie, like uh, we directed it like last year. This is so uh, Black not, Forest, yes. is that correct? Yes, it's not out yet. We're putting in the film festival. So I haven't had a lot of uh, firsthand experiences with criticism so I can't say me personally looking out just in general I think you can film criticism's good in the sense of you can see what a critic says and get an idea if it might be something worth seeing however I don't think that should be your only choice mm -hmm. you know I think it's a good tool to like maybe find a movie that you wouldn't have seen before but you should really see it for yourself. Don't take someone else's word on it unless it's a person you know personally, like in, in that sense. But just take reading the newspaper or mm -hmm. seeing a YouTube video, you can use that as a suggestion. But if they bash it, I would at least give it your own chance. But when I say film critics, I mean more like the professional ones. Because obviously okay. it's one thing if you've got some guy on YouTube or someone in the paper. I mean, especially if they're known for having controversial opinions. But, you know, often the case may be, particularly for like real fans of cinema, you look at like the, the critic ratings that you get on websites like Rotten Tomatoes or, mm -hmm. or like official uh, ratings-based websites and uh, obviously the industry reviews in general. And sometimes they, they like I've seen it, they, they'll completely destroy a movie and then it'll come out and it's excellent. Yeah. And then other times it's the flip reverse, you know, um, they say it's amazing and the film's terrible. So like, what's so, your yeah, take on uh, those? just going based off of like pure like professionals not even youtubers who even if it's a youtuber well i just wouldn't consider them professional you know, exactly. not to be harsh but like yeah. they're not no no I, I agree. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the newspaper i'm on tv stuff like right, that right i don't pay attention i, I really don't care oh. i might go to rotten tomatoes and if it's a high score i'll put that into my like brain going oh this might be worth checking out if it's highly rated However, if it's a low score, there's plenty of low scored movies on that website that I'm like, I go into it going, oh, this is going to suck. And I end up liking it. So like, yeah. I kind of will use that like the average score, but I rarely read individual reviews. The, the most I do, um, there's this app Letterboxd and it's like social media for like film fans, right? You can review movies, you log what you watch. This isn't, this isn't an ad, by the way. Um, 
but I'll read other people's reviews, but those are just regular people. Mm. I, I trust those reviews more than just someone who is in the newspaper and I, not to even knock them, you know? I might read it as a suggestion, like I said, but I really don't pay too much attention. I go into a movie because I want to see it, not because some guy who went to college for eight years to get a PhD in film told me it's good, you know? So you mentioned in that, that um, you have this movie, Black Forest. It's, uh, I believe, your first feature film. So let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, tell us what it's about and um, discuss the process of filming it, uh, what you learned from the experiences and uh, how you think the film will do. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'll start with the last one question. I hope it does good. Okay. But I can only hope right now. It's still in the final stages of kind of being finished. And it should be really 100% done in the next month or two. Oh, and then we want to put it in a film festivals and stuff like that. But, but the movie itself is, it's about, um, you know, found footage movies. Blair Witch, Paranormal yep. Activity. They, they were a big deal in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. And my idea was kind of, well, who finds that footage. It's called found footage. So it's about a couple walking through the woods and they find a camera. And as he, the guy goes home and starts looking at it and watching this story unfold, the things that were happening in that story start bleeding out to him. And it's uh, what's kind of, how much is happening, how much is to be treated on face value. But it's really that idea of who finds the footage. And yes. So is it like a horror movie or a thriller or what's the, what's Yeah, the so the best genre to put it in would probably be horror. I don't think it's just fully horror. I think it's a horror thriller. Um, but yeah, we, we made it over the course of the summer in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, we did it cheap. You know, we did it with just a few of us and got it done. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting point. I saw this in the notes. You did this on a budget of $5,000. Uh, how the hell did you pull that off? Because <laughs> um, I, mean, I, saw, I saw the stills and it, it looks very impressive. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it was um, tough. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. Um, D'Angelo, who produced the movie with me, he was the director of photography. And shout out if you're listening to this. Uh, him and I really had to on a, a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, when you see the credits, it, it's an army. And every job is so specialized and like mm -hmm. specific. And on our movie, there was days where it was just me and D'Angelo behind the camera. And we had to try to juggle as many jobs as possible. And it was just keeping it small. Uh, when I was writing the script and him and I were kind of coming up with the story, we kept it small. It really takes place in an apartment and in the woods for the two storylines and it's like very rarely do we go any other place so keeping the location small there's only like five actors in the movie you know me being one of them actually there's like seven or eight of us but you know keeping the cast small and it was just keeping everything small but also making the story good you know don't sacrifice the story because of the budget sacrifice you know there's not going to be a scene where there's a hundred extras we're not going to mm. have a big chase you know do what we can do and make the most of every single dollar so 
how did you sort of decide on on location because from what i've read over the years about how that's decided for movies like when you when you see like a movie a movie is in pre-production obviously a lot of that is uh things like yeah locations uh searching and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that so like talk us a little bit about the process of you know for instance finding the right forest finding the right yeah. apartment like what were you looking for so we had like some scenes in mind with the apartment, right? And ultimately you couldn't be too choosy because like we're not renting an apartment. We don't have that money. Originally we were going to try to get an Airbnb. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they have that over there, but. Yep, um, we got it. Uh, we were going to rent one of those and just keep it for a week and film and try to either ask the owner if we could do it or just hopefully just they anyway. didn't notice. <laughs> And, and then when you kind of, like you said, like with the money, you have to really think of, we were paying everything out of pocket. So you could save money by doing it at someone's apartment that we know, or do it at um, an Airbnb and try to find that perfect looking place. Hmm. And we kind of had to make the decision. We did it at the lead actress's apartment. She offered early on, and we took it up and it ended up on face value, when we saw the apartment, the layout wasn't how I pictured it. And I know D'Angelo thought the same thing where, oh, is this gonna work? You know, there's scenes where you need to be in different rooms, like, and it just didn't feel right. And then as we filmed, we just made it work. And I feel like, he always says we used every inch of that apartment. Like I think every room, every angle, and we had to make it work. And it actually ended up being better that way. Did you do Um, any sort of creative, sort of film work where you know sometimes like you can kind of manipulate it to make it seem like things are bigger and stuff did you do stuff like that there was a few instances where like a certain shot we did to like maybe make them feel further away but for the most part like we made that the apartment work as is you know we didn't have to you know do too much changing besides maybe taking pictures off the walls and stuff like that that didn't fit but yeah it ended up working better than we could have imagined I think that's like a big thing is just adapting you know they kind of say like the more money you have the more creative control you have Mm -hmm. so like if we had a bigger budget we could have built a set to be the exact aspects of that apartment and make it look however but you have to you have to work with the cards you're dealt you know and then with the uh, the woods the forest um we have like a trailer that we kind of refurbished and we made it into like a little office studio space where we did our podcast when we were doing it. Um, and there's a bunch of woods right behind it. And we, we would walk back there. And honestly, when we were coming up with the story, we would walk and be like, oh, this is a creepy looking tree. Write that into the script. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we write the script and we have the actors this is last august well i guess two august august 2019 when like the script was done when we were going to film it and we went back there to just do a little test right just a few of us we've been in those woods a million times and an atv pulled up and it was this big guy his wife and they had a baby strapped on like the chest and he goes uh what are you doing back here and we just played it off. We didn't want to say we're filming a movie. We're, oh, we're just taking pictures. Sorry. We, we live right there. Our properties are conjoined. We didn't know anyone owned this woods. Oh, shit. And he's like, you're not allowed here. You got to go. Yeah. So we left. 
we, and we try to figure out ways maybe to talk to them, to ask permission. And that was the biggest like demoralizing day we had. And really we were ready to film that August, 2019. And because life got in the way after that, we just kept on pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until the pandemic hit. And we were like, we got time, we're out of work. But like, so, how did you overcome that? If, if someone owned that portion of the woods that you wanted to film in, like, did you just so, do it anyway? No, we had to find new spots. And that was the tough uh, part because we always felt like, oh, our, that was perfect. We wrote the script based off that place, that creepy tree that was written in the script for that. And I think that was a big hurdle because we were always afraid to even look at other places because we're like, it's not going to be as good. And when we finally decided now's the time to do it and we started looking at different areas, it ended up being better. The creepy tree that I keep on referencing looks creepier than the tree we originally had. Like the, the way we filmed it because we had to get creative and like film it right by our trailer on our property and make it look like it was deep woods works better because it feels bigger. You know, that area we originally were going to film was kind of tiny. So if you watch the movie, it would have just looked like, yeah, they're in the same like 10 by 10 little area. You know, now we were able to go to different places and piece it together to make it feel bigger. And I think it actually worked. And sometimes those accidents or those big blows where you're like, how are we going to overcome this? End up making it better because you have to, you have to. Either. absolutely yeah like w with what you were talking about earlier about you know making that budget work i i think it's a very good point that many of us uh creatives can kind of um uh how do i put this it's something we can all relate to you know what i mean like i, I remember when i first started this podcast and first started my youtube stuff like it's you know my audience knows that i just don't have the, the money for the equipment that i want so i yeah. always work around like oh how can i best make kind of use of my situation what things can I do what can't I do and I think if anything it, within the context of a movie or, or something like that it forces you to be more creative which ultimately is going to be more beneficial to the project that you're working on and I feel like having a big budget isn't always necessarily the best thing for your movie the best thing is the story you got to focus on the, how does this affect the story and that's what we really had like I said we had to stay on that you know like I said, if we had the money to build an apartment, you know, build a set or find any apartment in the world to film in, we would have spent so much time on that. And right. It doesn't matter too much. It could add a little flavor to the character because you see where they're living. You can maybe make it creepier when it needs to be creepy and things like that. But ultimately, it's like, no, the story in our movie is about these two characters in an apartment. The apartment overall is unrelated. You know, you can make it feel like those characters live there but if the characters are boring you don't care what's going on you're not going to care that the apartment looks great you know and, and the her apartment was great but it just wasn't like originally our idea you know mm -hmm. i kind of wanted something a lot more bigger a lot more grander like and different rooms so you can make these different rooms it just feels bigger instead of it feeling like we're in one one bedroom apartment you mentioned that you were doing a podcast whilst filming this. Now, I don't actually have that in my notes. That's something that I haven't seen that you uh, promote. So please tell us about that. Like, 
I can gather what it probably was, but yeah, tell us well, actually, what, what it was and why we you were doing it. While we were filming, we were okay. doing it for a year or two before. Right. And then we took a, a pandemic hiatus that we're technically still on, but it was called the Squad Bulls Podcast. Uh, we were talking a little bit before, and it was just me, uh, D'Angelo, who produced the movie, uh, Devon, who is also a big part behind the scenes, and he's in the movie as well. Uh, you know, we're all good friends, and we would just chit chat and hang out. Sometimes there would be serious topics, you know, we're talking about life, and then other times we're just joking around or playing a dumb game. Like the idea kind of was your, you hanging out with your friends and the dumb conversations you have, what if you recorded them, you know, when you're kind of sitting around having beers. And originally, well, we started in my apartment, then we started filming it at a bar we would go to a lot. We asked the <laughs> owner if they were cool with it. So we would, you know, it was more authentic. And then when, like I, I briefly talked about that uh, trailer we renovated, we'd made a set there and then we were doing it for a while. But yeah, we did stop that uh, in March. It's something I still want to go back to, but we have to do a few things behind the scenes. But, you know, we were doing it for a good time. It was fun. It was just entertaining. That's What's the name again? I didn't quite catch it. Squad Goals Podcast. Squ Squoggles? Yeah, Squad Goals. S Squad Goals Podcast. Yeah. Okay, right. Sorry, maybe it's just my hearing. <laughs> And that ah, cool, man. Yeah, I hope I hope you do do it. Um, sounds like a lot of fun. I've yeah. I've heard similar concepts before, but I've never heard people. Yeah, it was actually... definitely not an original idea by any stretch of the imagination. But it was just fun because I even said, like at the beginning, I was like, even if people don't listen to it, the worst case is you're sitting down with your friends and talking for a little bit of time, you know, mm. and that's it. You know, that's what do we have to lose, like. We had the equipment because we did other film things. So it's like, we just have to hang out with our friends. Whoa, that's, you know, it's not a torture. Uh, just bringing it back to the movie, uh, just one final question on that. Is there likely to be a sequel, do you think, or, or sort of continuation of this story in some perspective? Okay, so I'm going to be a little coy about it. I'm going to say yes and no. There's no like hmm. active plan right now, right? And in all honesty, uh, D'Angelo, who I keep referencing, has come up with an idea. Right. It might not be a direct sequel or a prequel, but it would kind of live in that world. And that right now might be my favorite idea. However, I think that would be more him taking the ball on that if that was something he really had to develop that idea because you know he came up with it i think it's a really solid idea and it's different it's not just a direct sequel or a copycat of the original it takes elements of like the world we created and made something new and that's my favorite time. like if i was to really ever do a sequel for a movie i made I don't want to just continue the characters mm. and just do the same thing before. I kind of want, I like, I would love more movies to make sequels and you have like a, a minor character from the first become the lead character in the second. Um, like uh, unrelated, but I'm watching the show, The Wire right now. It's an older right. show, but every season's totally different. It has the same characters. It's about the city of Baltimore, but every single season focuses on something new and, and that's the thing I love that they're doing is you might have a character who only popped in three episodes in season one. Well, now season two is about him 
and we see his side of things and the new aspect. And then a season, a character that has a little role in season two is the big part of season three, or we go back to a character from season one. It's the show's about Baltimore, not the characters. And I think the idea D'Angelo hit really strikes that nerve where it's, it's about some of the characters in our movie, but it's not just a direct continuation or a copycat, you know? It's not, oh, someone else finds a camera in the woods. You know, it's, we're going past it, but it's just talk right now. So nothing's been concrete. Where did you study filmmaking and what did you actually take from that experience? So, yeah, I went to, there's a school in Orlando, Full Sail. And I know I, Full Sail. That's where they do NXT. Sorry. I yeah. <laughs> Originally, I was going into the film program and, and it's a great program. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But at the time there wasn't, it, it just wasn't going to work, you know? Mm. They need 100% commitment and all in. And at the time I had, uh, I just got a new apartment. I just got a new car. I had a lot of financial obligations that I couldn't just, I had to work like a full-time job. I couldn't just drop it. And I had to change my major to entertainment business. So I learned the business side of things at Full Sail. And then the filmmaking, the creative stuff, I had to learn on my own or you watch YouTube and stuff like that, you know, because I'm like the technical stuff you have to learn the creative stuff that's on you. Ultimately, it's really hard to teach someone how to be creative, you know? <laughs> so I felt confident that I had the creative side already figured out. I learned the business side, which taught me a lot of things that I wouldn't have known. And then the actual like technical filmmaking stuff, I had to teach myself, you know, and I know that's how D'Angelo was too. He really, when we first started talking like, oh, we could do movie things together. He liked movies. He was a big movie fan, but I don't think he really knew much of what went into it. And he really buckled down. He watched YouTube videos, read books, did everything. And now he knows more than me of the technical stuff, lighting and cameras and all that, you know, and he only started learning like recently, like five years ago, six years ago now. So it's really, if you want to do it, you don't need the formal education. The formal education for film and stuff will help you so much and it's hands-on and it's great. However, if you didn't have the money or the funds or the time, there's really no excuse. You couldn't do it on your own. You know, you have a 4K camera in your pocket now you don't even need equipment, just make things. And that's what everyone says and it's cliche, but it's true, just make things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, I've said that about podcasts. I've heard people say, oh, I can't do podcasts because I don't have the equipment. You know, I started with a cheap ass mic and my webcam uh, originally. And then, you know, after some time, you, you gradually improve your... Um, exactly. Yeah, your like, equipment. But ultimately, yeah. the, the content is always the most important thing. You know, you know, like, and and your audience will kind of allow for that as well, you know. And I also think, at least with podcasting and stuff like that, it's hard to get the content right off the bat. You know, mm. you might. But, like, if you go back to our first episode, it's terrible. We had no experience podcasting. We recorded it. Because there's a video component too. 
we recorded it just in my living room at the time. And if you watch every episode, you see it getting better. The mics get better because we started buying new mics or learning how to actually make the mic sound better. Uh, the lighting got better. The camera got better. Then we moved to a new set. So it looked nicer and it just was an evolution over the period of like a year and a half. But we just jumped in. It was just an idea. I, I think me and D'Angelo both had it. And we were just like, let's just do it. You know, we wanted to do things on YouTube. We've always wanted to do film. But like, it's just a fun, creative thing. You know, I'm always about doing something creative, doing something new and like building this new creative endeavor, you know. I totally get where you're coming from, man. Uh, prior to your first feature film, what projects have you worked on? Really not much. Yeah. Uh, Sorry for the boring answer. I mean, we <laughs> did a lot of, uh, we would film weddings and stuff mm -hmm. like that, make some side money. Um, we would do some little shorts on YouTube. Okay. Just we made things. And I know our end goal was always to make films or like a web series or something like that. And, and there was a few other projects we, we dabbled in, but we really never got them off the ground for whatever reason. And, and this is really the first big thing I would say I worked on. I know a lot of other people in the cast and crew worked on as well. So right now, this is the first, this is the beginning, you know. Do you think you'll do other similar projects that you've done in the past on platforms like YouTube or whatever? Or is that kind of in the past now and you're focusing fully on sort of more professional film projects, so to speak? I'm going to say a little bit of both. Um, I really liked doing the, the YouTube stuff because like I said, it was me hanging out with my friends for the podcast, or we would do like little uh, commentary reaction videos mm -hmm. for movies. And it was just hanging out with your friends, watching a movie. So I would love to do that. And I still think we will do that. However, now that we kind of pass the threshold, it's hard to like not commit, you know? Uh, a lot of doors start opening when you kind of say, hey, here's a movie, it's in this festival. And I think if I was able to do both, that's the perfect world. You know, you can do this YouTube thing, have this following. And, and that is important. If you walk into a meeting for a professional film and you say, hey, I have a blank amount of subscribers that would follow me and watch this movie, it helps, it helps. Well, you reckon and it is truly taken seriously now as mm -hmm. a medium? It was like there's a lot of people in the past that would have sort of shunned YouTube and been like, that's not proper filmmaking. I but think it depends on the person too. You know, okay. if you have some YouTubers who really, let's say, I can't even think of names, but a YouTuber who has like 50 million subscribers, they've never done anything film related. If they walk into a room, 50,000 or 50 million subscribers is tempting, but if they don't know what they're doing, it's not really worth it, you know? Really? So you don't think they would see and go, hmm, maybe there's a bit of money to be made here? Or... And you do. You do get some of those YouTube movies, but they're usually low budget and stuff like that. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay. Let's, let's, let's make a distinction now. So not YouTube movies. Like someone trying to do a serious thing. Because, yeah, I don't think there's ever been a good YouTube movie. <laughs> yeah. Those are the only examples of someone walking into a room with a bunch of like millions of right, subscribers right, 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 right. like, let's make a movie. But the thing is, I think that's what they want to do. I, I, I don't think that YouTube, that YouTuber wants to make a, 
a movie that is like their YouTube videos with the same humor and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know personally of a big name YouTuber who's like, I want to make a, a serious drama or something where I'm not in the movie, I'm behind the camera. And I, I, I personally don't know too much. Maybe they do try and they get turned down, but it always helps to have some kind of following. And, and that's unfortunately part of it. But so, yeah, I would do YouTube and movies, you know, why not? Fair play, man. I, I think it's good to just try lots of different things, you know, and and see yeah. what works. And I think that increasingly YouTube is, is becoming just more and more um, revered as a platform that, you, you know, you should be taken seriously. And, you know, certainly content creators, I think for the most part, again, taken a bit more seriously by the mainstream now. So, yeah, who knows yeah. where it could go in the future? <laughs> Um, what do you love most about filmmaking? That's, I, I really just love that story, you know, making, telling a story. And also it's, you kind of go through hell, like making the movie. It's a lot of work. It's tiring. And, you know, there's things that go wrong. And I can name a million reasons of why it's tough and hard and not easy but then when you start seeing the pieces come together and you're watching it and you see that scene and you're like, oh, this is coming out good. All of a sudden, all those bad things, that aggravation goes out the window and you're like, yeah, let's do this again. And I think just working with a team and building something and then you have an end result that you guys are all happy with is really hard to compare to anything else that I know of enough man and what would you say are the biggest challenges of being a filmmaker i think uh the biggest hurdle right now like before we made this was just doing it you know we like i said we had other projects we wanted to do other like web series or maybe short films and stuff like that and you kind of just have to do it um i mean ultimately if the story's not good and sometimes that was some of the reason but your time is never going to make itself for you. You know, if you're working a full-time job, you're not all of a sudden going to be, your boss isn't going to just come out of nowhere and say, Hey, here's three months off, you know, and now you're like, <laughs> Oh, I got to make the movie. Ultimately, and that was our problem. We lost that. Uh, well, we lost <laughs> that location and we got into the pattern of man, we're, we're depressed. We don't like, we want to do the movie still, but we don't know how, and then we got caught up working, 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 kind of just hoping that, uh, hoping something would happen. And I mean, we had a global pandemic that came out of nowhere where we didn't work. That's never going to happen again, <laughs> knock on wood. But so we were in that like 0.00001% where all of a sudden time opened up and now we have the time to do this. And going forward, my attitude is that's never going to happen again. So if you want to do something, you just have to do it. And don't oh, worry yeah. about the equipment. Do it with what you got. And then like you kind of said with the podcast and things like that, the next movie you make or the next short film, you just make it better and build on it. You're, you know, if you sit back trying to buy the most expensive camera, the most expensive lighting, you're never going to be happy because something new is going to come out that you want. Just make something with what you got and then just get stuff for the next time and build on it. Absolutely. 
Uh, talk us through the role of director. What are your key responsibilities on set uh, during both pre-production and post-production and then the eventual release? So yeah, director, like I feel like a lot of people know what a direct, like knows that's on a film set, but a lot of people don't know what they do. Mm -hmm. And really the way I kind of like think about it is uh, making a movie is like a business, right? It, it, the, the film sets a company, a big company, and the director is kind of the CEO in the sense of they make decisions that these other departments in that company kind of do. And, and you, it's collaborative, like depending on the director. You might have a director who's like, no, it's my way. You do it my way. I like to be more open where let's say, you know, the director of photography is in charge of the camera and lighting department. If they have a cool idea, I'm going to listen. Uh, we didn't have all these other departments, but you have the person in charge of wardrobe, you know, who it's just collaborative. And they're kind of overseeing all these little departments that make the movie run and make that decision. And the most direct job they have is working with the actors. That's like their most hands-on thing they do is they work with the actors and that's kind of their department. And then besides that, they oversee these other departments on set. And then um, going into post-production, you kind of take those next steps. Uh, when editing the movie, uh, you could have three different editors take our footage from our movie and they would probably make a different movie each time. I edited the movie myself and so I kind of had control over that, but in a regular movie set, they would work with the editor hands-on and kind of get that vision that they had in their head done, you know, and they work with the editor, collaborate and et cetera. And right now we have someone working on the sound. So it got sent off to them. They send us back clips, like of what they're doing, the tweaking, the mixing and mastering and stuff like that. Thanks for that. Um, talk us through the, the process for, for writing scripts. Like, what's your individual process? Okay, yeah. So everyone's going to do things different. I will sit on an idea personally, and I constantly have movie ideas or scene ideas or character ideas pop into my head. Like, oh, that's a really cool scene. And then sometimes they just disappear. And, and those few ideas that kind of pop back into my head you know, it might be a concept for a movie or it might be a mm -hmm. character and I go, the ones that keep on coming back when they leave, I go, let's think more about this. So oh, I okay. have a, a brief idea before I even sit down. Like, I, I kind of call it, like I do a lot of vetting in my head before I really commit to I'm gonna write this. And then I just sit down and write. I kind of go in blind. During like that brief outline, I might have a few checkpoints of the story. Like I need to hit this, 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 but I really go in blind and I write a rough draft just with nothing. I don't outline it out. I know some people really have the movie planned out beforehand before even writing a sentence. I just have a few major plot points normally and I just write and kind of let the story take me places. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, but so then you I kind of, You kind of write from beginning to end then? Because I've yeah. heard a lot of filmmakers tend to do it the other way around, where they, they sort of start, they, okay, I've written the ending, I work my way backwards. So yeah, for example, logical. 
So, like, when I say, like, I have those plot points, it might be the ending, you know, and it's just a brief idea. Um, but, like, even with Black Forest, uh, there's the ending kind of came as I was writing it. And I remember talking with D'Angelo, like, hey, I have this idea for an ending. I'm 30 pages into this script. And he was like, oh, no, that's really good. And it was like, that wasn't the plan when I went in. Then I, on, like, a second rewrite, now I can kind of make things make sense. And like, now that I have the whole, like that rough draft is I'm getting the story and now I can maybe, oh, let me add a scene in. So this scene that I came up with doesn't feel like it just came out of nowhere, you know? And I kind of add things in or I might add a line in to kind of make things connect better. But I really kind of go in blind and I know I'm in the minority there. I know a lot of people really have everything planned out. Do you think you'll always have a co-writer with you or do you think you'll sort of break off and, and just write for yourself in the future? I mean, I like collaborating. Um, for example, I do like with Black Forest, uh, the three of us kind of came up with a story or ideas and then I wrote it, the actual script myself. Um, but I do like that, like sending it to someone you know and trust and getting their input and building on that because I also think it's very easy to be blind and think this is amazing and it's not or something's not working and you just can't see it so even if I'm writing like I'm working on a new project that I'm writing kind of just start as fun but I sent it over to D'Angelo he liked it and I need like I always kind of need that the criticism I need notes from someone else I, I don't really trust myself to be like this is perfect I, I like to have other eyes on everything you know constantly sometimes you're an actor i said at the beginning you're like an occasional actor um yeah, is this yeah, something occasional well is it I, I wasn't really sure how to put this do you know what I mean? because you put it at the end of your bio and I, I kind of figured like maybe and this is me presuming it's not something that you're like you know it's not like with filmmaking, you're serious. This is what you want. This is what you want to do. Acting, maybe it's like a little thing. I mean, it's not uncommon for directors to appear in yeah. their own movies. Um, some do it really, really well, like, you know, Tarantino. Others just have like little cameos. But are you actively pursuing acting or is it just more kind of just filling in spots, just occasional cameos and stuff? So, I mean, I think you kind of hit it the first time. It's definitely not my main focus. It's not my main passion. Like the writing and directing definitely is. And I kind of have it in my head that like a Tarantino and stuff, if I direct a movie, I'm putting myself in a part. Even if it's just a cameo, but I'm giving myself a part. Um, I really do enjoy acting. I don't think I'm the greatest actor, but it is something I like doing and I do want to get better at it. Okay. And I can see myself trying to pursue it but it wouldn't be like my primary focus you know i think if i can get acting roles awesome but it's also something that i'm kind of not necessarily pursuing at the moment like let me get my foot in the door with what i want to do and then maybe when my foot's in the door i can branch off and be like oh let me get a part in this or like audition for this and like doors open kind of once you're in and yeah, I, I do love the art of acting, but it's just not my number one, like, love. I get that. Fair enough. Um, what are your goals and aspirations within the field of filmmaking? I mean, 
I would say like my main goal would just be making things, you know, uh, directing different things or even just working in different departments. Like, as I said before, it's okay. a bunch of departments. Um, just really being in the film world. But like, if I had to say whatever I like, pick whatever I wanted, yeah, I would be directing things, especially directing like maybe ideas I came up with. Because sometimes a director might get hired and their script's already made and they don't get too much control over the story and stuff like that. If I could be one of those directors that writes and directs my own stuff, awesome. You know, that, that would be the dream come true, but I would also be happy doing anything in the field. And uh, what are your goals for 2021? 2021, um, right now, get the movie 100% done. You know, it's like 90% there right now. And really just start putting it in festivals um, and hopefully get in, into a couple. Um, that would be kind of the main goal. And then the other goal, uh, I'm, like I said, I was writing a new project. And it, it's a bigger idea. It's something we couldn't direct. Like okay. I can direct right now, you need money. And that's something where I'm like, you know what, let me try to see if I could sell it or do something like that, you know? And I feel like that's a new challenge. I haven't really done that yet. So I would say get that, get the movie done, film festival, finish my script and see if I can sell it or get interest or maybe make a connection where they say, I don't like that script, but I like your writing, write this, you know? It certainly sounds like from your background, you're prepared to sort of do that as well. And like, obviously there's a lot of opportunities for filmmakers and, and uh, just writers in general with, you know, companies like Disney plus uh, Netflix, you know, the list goes on HBO. Yeah. Do you think you'll be sort of trying to reach out to those sort of companies or like what's your kind of strategy at the moment? Right now I'm going to, once it's done and I feel like happy with, the finished product. I'm doing a couple drafts right now. Um, maybe try to get a manager, an agent, because a lot mm. of the times they'll be the ones to get you those meetings. Okay. You know, if I call up a Netflix, who am I right now? I'm nobody. So it's, it's tough to get in that door. But if you have a manager or an agent who has connections and they vouch for you, they can get you in. Um, so right now that would be like my first process. Maybe if the Black Forest is in festivals, that's good enough to get your name in the door because people might start knocking, you know? So it really depends on, there, there's a million different ways to get into like film and TV. And right now I'm like at that threshold where life could take me different directions down certain paths and I don't know. You kind of just have to go with it. I'm sure, I'm sure it will work out, but I wish you the best of luck with fingers that. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, as we draw things to a close for today do you have any final thoughts or maybe some upcoming projects that you'd like to share with us yeah i mean black forest would be <laughs> the, the um right now we don't have like a social media for it so i would say you could go to i have instagram twitter really i use the same username it's ajconst right now like if that kind of like the idea follow me there we'll start getting trailers once we maybe make a social media page for the movie, you'll know, you'll learn there first to move and follow that. And yeah, uh, that's right now the biggest project on the table to follow. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, like I said before, wish you the best of luck with that. I'm excited to see the thank film. And um, yeah, th thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
Of course, it was a good time. And uh, yeah, as always, uh, thank you very much for watching the Christian Reef podcast, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube. As I always say, please make sure to get in touch with me if there is a particular guest that you would like to see on an upcoming episode, or if there's particular topics that you'd like us to discuss on, on the podcast. Just let me know, please. I always want to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, peace out, one love. I'll see you in the next one. Yeah.